But I think that's weird. I think that's actually like, it's weird, but it might be wonderful. It might be wonderful. This is Chapter, Verse, and Season, a lectionary podcast from Yale Bible Study. I'm Helena Martin, your host. Welcome back. Every week, we bring you a casual conversation between two of our Yale Divinity School faculty about one of the readings appointed by the Revised Common Lectionary for the coming Sunday. This episode, we have Sarah Drummond, founding dean of Andover Newton Seminary at Yale, and Joel Baden, professor of Hebrew Bible and director of the Center for Continuing Education. They're discussing Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 through 11, and verse 15, which is appointed for Sunday, February 20th, the seventh Sunday after the Epiphany. Here's the text. Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 through 11, and verse 15. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt, come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them, and after that, his brothers talked with him. So, Joel, as I look at this story about Joseph, what I want it to be about, what I want it to signal is um, mission matters more than ego, and doing the right thing is more important than getting revenge, and that forgiveness makes life better. Tell me that's what's really going on here. Okay, Sarah, that's what's really going on here. <laughs> Enjoy that. Uh, I mean, it's not that that's not going on here, right? There's obviously, there's a lovely message in here about, you know, about forgiveness. Though to be clear, by, by chapter 45 here, we are like four or five chapters deep into Joseph seriously messing with his brothers, right? To get like, we've gotten to the point where he has gotten his revenge, as it were, right? He's made them uncomfortable and miserable and put one of them in prison and sent them back and forth to Canaan multiple times. And like, you know, thrown them into like, it's, it's he's, he's been messing with them. He's finally gotten to the point where he's like, okay, I, it's fine. Like it's me. Um, so it's not, it's not that there's not messages here about, about forgiveness and, and all of that, but you know, the, the, the main, like to my mind, one of the the main features of the story, but certainly one of the main elements in, in in what we're looking at here, is you know it's in, it's in verse five. Do not be distressed or angry because you sold me here. 
God sent me before you to preserve life. Which is takes a story that I think we love because it's such a sort of personal human family story. Right? And this is true of much of Genesis. One of the reasons we really love Genesis is because it's recognizable to us, right? We could be one of the people in Genesis in a way that we can never be Moses. Right? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. You can relate to you could you could imagine yourself to be any number of we different all, We all characters. have siblings, we all yes. have parents, we all have kids, right? Like so and, and all of the dynamics are, are constantly at play. And this story is a story about siblings, but I mean and, and parent-child relationships, all of those things. So we love it for that. But there's, you know, but like the higher level of this has to do with how God works in in the world. You know, for Joseph to say, in in what is a moment of incredible forgiveness to say, you did something truly terrible to me, but I know that it was all for the good. As I say it out loud now, is it actually deeply, I think, deeply problematic thing, right? Like. Forgiveness is lovely, but do they bear no responsibility? Do we say things like, yeah, you literally sold me into slavery. It was God's will. Like, that's messed up, isn't it? I've heard it said, and I don't actually know who said it, that a preacher could preach on forgiveness every Sunday for their entire career and never run out of stuff to say. Because just the whole concept of forgiveness is so complicated. So I'm not going to say that's not what I, I'm seeing, because I do think that there is an important message and lesson in this text about setting aside differences and focusing on what's really important. And setting aside the differences sometimes means returning to them later, you know, by imprisoning people, mm-hmm. your brother, or taking vengeance and sending them on wild goose chases later, you know, after the famine. That was imposed by the same God who is now authorizing Joseph to rescue the family from. So when we think about what is edifying in this text, like what is the the kind of positive takeaway from this text for somebody who maybe is trying to preach on it in a setting where there's a lot of division or um, a lot of families that are struggling not to kill each other in their community. I wonder if you see in this some, even a message of what not to do. The Joseph story is such an interesting space in the text because it really, like, it exists in a sense only to get the family from one place to the other. You know what I mean? Like, It's like Expedia.com. Right. right. Uh, but, like, it, it moves us it takes us from like the, everyone's in, in Canaan to oops, everyone's in Egypt, right? Like, and that's like, that's what it's here for. But a- along the way, right, you could have done that in three verses, right? It's this incredibly expansive discourse on how we understand human action. And sometimes it feels like it's humans going along with the will of God unknowingly. Sometimes it feels like it's God sort of tweaking things a little bit here and there to make them end up the way that God wants. How much of it is, you know, when you say, is it, uh, you know, what to do or what not to do, how much in the story is anybody doing anyway? 
if Joseph's claim is, when you sold me into Egypt, which at the time I think they thought they were doing, like, of their own free will, it's like, nah, God planned that. That was meant to be, yeah. When, yeah. when, when, they're, when Joseph finds himself in Egypt and, uh, you know, he ends up being the person who's in prison with the guys, the baker and the butler and the ones who need their dreams interpreted. It's chance. It's not chance. Right. The, you know, everybody Joseph comes in contact with, it says, and God made, you know, God made them favor Joseph or God made them look kindly on Joseph. What to do or what not to do. Are any of us doing anything? What's, where's the, where, I have questions about where the lines of human agency are, according to the story. And I have questions about the lines of divine agency. You said a few minutes ago, you know, God ordained this famine. Right. And yeah, like in the, in the like broad picture of it's all, you know, divine puppetry in a sense, then yeah, sure. The brother, the brothers did the thing, but God made them sell Joseph because God must've known that there was going to be a famine, right? That, that's the only way that makes sense because they sell Joseph before the famine. So, you know, all of this stuff, like has God doing a puppet string pulling, but it doesn't actually say anywhere that God created a famine, which we know God can do, right? There's plenty of other places in the Bible where God makes a famine happen. This one feels more like God being like, well, there's going to be a famine, I guess. Right? Like, so I don't know where the lines of human agency are. I don't know where the lines of divine agency are. And all I know is that it's the, the place where those two things meet in the middle is the passage we're reading right now. That which falls on either side of the line Another way to to frame just exactly what you said would be on one side of the line is providence, and on the other side of the line is forgiveness. And that's a line where I, I fear to tread. Reason being that when a person's asked to forgive, the person seeking the forgiveness really needs to take full responsibility for what has gone wrong. To say the devil made me do it is bad enough. To say God intended me to do it, I don't think so. So, in a way, you're making me less hopeful about this text um, and its uh, possible redeeming qualities because somehow, in in just the interest of self protection and confirmation bias, I kind of missed the fact that Joseph is saying that his own um, being run out on a rail was part of the narrative of that which was meant to be. I kind of forgot that part on purpose and instead was trying to imagine Joseph just being the bigger person taking the high road, which clearly is not what's taking place but what's, here. What's so weird is like you just said, right, obviously, if you're the person asking for forgiveness for something you've done wrong and you say, God made me do it, right? That's a no-go. But this is a story about the person who is forgiving saying it's okay god made you do it that's that's weird but i think that's weird i think that's actually like it's weird but it might be wonderful it might be wonderful it is i wonder in a day and age like ours when uh there has been such a i mean now i don't know centuries millennia long overlooking or easy forgiveness of abuses often abuses of power i'm thinking particularly where 
if you can just chalk stuff up to, you know, God, it's God's plan. It was God's plan somehow. It was God's will. Then accountability is is removed to an extent. At the same time, hyper accountability, you know, without any forgiveness, obviously has its own pitfalls uh, socially. I I don't know where to where to slot this, and I think that's fine. I like. I, that's the fun part. Right. I don't know where to slot this text in here. Part of me reads it and thinks, what a model for, as I think you wanted to read it, right? what a model for forgiving those who have sinned against us most strongly. And part of me wants to read it as, when you tell people that they're, the crimes they've committed against you, against your person, against your agency, you know, are are just part of the divine plan, you are simply reinforcing hierarchies and and power structures and abuses and permitting them to to happen again i don't know which one's happening well the idea that when we hurt people we were just reading off a script we had no role in that i reject that and yet you've named i think the point where free will becomes less relevant and to me i would call that grace on the side of the the person who's extending the forgiveness, not because the person in need of forgiveness explained everything, but because there is this ethic of love that is greater than us that can fix almost anything. But if I were to name now, having had this conversation, what's really um, inspiring and helpful about this text is that it helps us to understand why forgiveness can be so hard for us now, that it's not neat and tidy and God's involvement in it is not obvious. Thanks for listening. For more information about the podcast, including a transcript and this week's show notes, check out yalebiblestudy.org. You can also find a lot of other great Bible study resources there and remember to follow us on Twitter at Bible Yale. Chapter, verse, and season is produced by Joel Baden, Kelly Morrissey, and me, Helena Martin. Production help by Chriselle Bryce, and our theme music is by Calvin Linderman. Thanks to the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School. And thank you to Dean Drummond and Professor Baden for being here with us again this week. We'll be back with another conversation from chapter, verse, and season.